Good morning, everyone. How are you? I have four of you here. Good morning, everyone. How are you? I know it's weird when you sit in church. I'm the person sitting, listening. I can't move. I can't talk. How are you this morning? All right. Okay. You can move a bit. Everyone just move their arms a bit. It's all right. It's all right. God's here. He loves you. You don't have to be too stiff. All right. We're going to have a great time this morning. Uh, This is a powerful prayer. We're talking about life-changing prayers in this series. So I'm trying to give you an understanding of prayer, a deeper understanding uh, that can change your life. And I don't say that as an empty promise. I seriously believe that with all my heart, that if you pray in such a way as God helps us to pray, then your life will truly be transformed. So today's day seven of our 21 days of prayer. And uh, if you weren't able to stop and pray every day this week, then I encourage you to jump in today uh, on day seven, and you can do the next 14 days with us. We're just encouraging everyone to stop and pray every day so that we're orientating our heart and our life towards God at the beginning Uh, of this year. So every every night I say um, prayers with my kids, usually with Jed, almost every night, 95% of the time I put Jed, my five-year-old, to bed. And and yesterday, um, our youngest daughter, our fourth child, turned two. Uh, And so we had a little birthday for her. And as I'm putting Jed to bed, I said, why don't you pray something about your little sister turning, turning two, you know, and just thank Jesus for her. I'm trying to teach him how to pray some different words, because he kind of says the same two sentences every night when he prays, because he's five, so, which is probably better than most of us, because some of us don't even pray at all, but at least he's praying two sentences, hey, he's doing well. Um, and uh, he, he stopped me and he said, Dad, is there like a prayer competition? <laughs> I was like, this is totally left field, like you love five-year-olds, right? Is there a prayer competition? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, so that we can see who's the best prayer. I'm like... No, there's not a prayer competition, mate. <laughs> you mean like, as in like someone judges who does the best prayers, or maybe God judges the best prayers. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so we get, is there a prayer competition? I'm like, no, no, no. Prayer's different than that. I know most things in life are about competing, but prayer's a little bit different. Uh, it's like a, a child, when they bring a piece of art to their parent, that's what prayer is to God. Every piece of art, that a child brings to a parent is fantastic, well done, I love it, let's, let's blue tack this to the wall. That's what your prayers are to God. There's no prayers that are better, there's no prayers that are worse, there's no prayers that are righter, there's no prayers that are wronger. God just actually loves it when you take a moment to sit and spend time and pray with him. You know, every week around Australia, there's thousands of Alcoholics Anonymous groups meet. And that's just Alcoholics Anonymous. There's Narcotics Anonymous and Sex Addicts Anonymous and all kinds of anonymous 12-step programs that help people. And one of the cornerstones to the 12-step programs of Alcoholics Anonymous is the serenity prayer. You may have heard this before. And this is a great example of a relinquishing prayer, a prayer of letting go, which we're going to talk about today. It says, God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Has anyone heard this prayer before? The serenity prayer. So serenity meaning peace or calmness, tranquility. So it's this prayer of relinquishing control. And this is what we're going to talk about today, this prayer of letting go. How do you pray in such a way that you can actually let go? In in, uh, June... 17 of 2015, so about seven years ago, 
Dylan Roof walked into the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, North Carolina in the USA. You may remember this story. And he shot dead nine African Americans as they were in their midday Bible study class. One of the men, one of the women actually that was there was murdered. Her husband, so Anthony Thompson is his name, and I've got a picture of his book that he wrote here. It's called Called to Forgive. He tells in this book called To Forgive the story of the church and himself of the process of coming to this place of actually forgiving Dylan Roof of murdering his wife and murdering nine members of their church. And it was actually the entire church, relatives, husbands, wives, daughters, mothers, all kinds of people in this church community, all of them together made worldwide news because all of them together chose to forgive this murderer who stormed into their peaceful church and murdered their family members, their congregation members. What do you think Anthony Thompson had to go through in his personal prayer life, in his relationship with God, in his wrestling through his theology about God being good, God being there for us, God fulfilling all these great promises for us, and then his wife is murdered, ironically, inside a church, worshipping God and studying the Word of God, the Bible. What do you think this man had to go through to come to a place to be able to let go? I'm sure he prayed a lot of relinquishment prayers because ultimately the relinquishment prayer comes down to letting go of control, letting go of situations, forgiving, even forgiving a murderer. Life is a long process of letting go. Has anyone realised? Stop digging your elbow into your husband there. Just let go, sweetie. It's all right. Just let go. It's my everyday argument in our house. You know, just let me run the house. Let me wear the pants. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Gosh, my jokes mustn't be very funny today. Is it me or is it you? Or I don't know. But life's a long process of letting go, isn't it? We, 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 we struggle to let go. But finally, we let go when we even breathe our, our last breath. One day you will let go, ultimately. You will have to let go and you'll breathe your last breath and you'll be gone. But it's a tough process. It's almost like every day we're wrestling through this challenge of letting go. When we're young, life is all about getting and grasping. And we like get all this stuff. We get a career and we get an education and we get a husband or a wife. We get some kids and whatever. But then we begin to realize as we mature, and if you're not there yet, that's fine. Just put this to the side. But for the rest of us, we begin to realize as we mature that the second half of life is, is a lot about actually letting go. These kids that we sacrifice for, we sacri mothers sacrifice their bodies and fathers sacrifice their sleep and whatever, we learn to realise when they're teenagers, we've got to let them go. And then they become an adult and they're gone. And you're left with all this pain and anguish, but they're gone having a great time travelling the world. And you're like, my little baby, what am I going to do with my life now that I'm an empty nester? We have to let go. It's difficult. We spend a lot of our life attaching to things, attached to this is my identity, I'm a doctor, I'm a businessman, I'm a this, but then we lose our job, then our business falls apart. You know, I've got to be careful not to attach too strongly to I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, I'm a man of God, because it could be gone tomorrow. And will I be something without a title? Will I be something without a church? I hope I am, because I hope my attachment is ultimately to God, not to a title, a position, a thing, a function. We have to learn to detach 
When we come to Jesus, we detach. We don't attach to the things of this world. We learn to detach. Many Bible figures had to let go. Abraham was asked by God to put his own son on the altar and sacrifice his son to God. You have to be able to detach to be able to let go. And then if you know the story, God came through. He didn't sacrifice his son and God provided something else. Life is a long process of letting go of our friends. They come, they go. Letting go of our relatives and our family. You go through those periods. We try to control the kids. You try to control your parents or control your brother. But eventually, you've got to grow up. You've got to give it over to God. You've got to give over control. and Control the things you can. Yeah, that's good to take responsibility, but... Don't control the things you can't. Just let things go to God. If you don't do that, you'll find you're anxious, you burn out, you get stuck in mental health issues. You'll find lots of problems occur when you don't let go because you pile all these things on and you wrestle and you fight everyone and you get controlled and then you have to go manipulate and you can't forgive that person because they wronged you. And it's a pretty depressive existence when we try to live like that. To pray is ultimately to let go. To pray the prayer of relinquishment is the specific prayer we pray, the words we pray, specifically letting go, surrendering, and handing things to God, whether it's people, whether it's money, whether it's pain and anguish, whether it's the past, we let it go. Now, I'm saying all this, and I'm sure most of you are nodding your heads, or at least on the inside, nodding your heads, going, yep, probably agree. Yep, I can see your point, Pastor Kay. The funny thing is, we really struggle to do this, and a lot of the time, we actually can't do it. Is anyone being realistic today? Is anyone sitting there going, yeah, it's good, but like, it's really hard? Especially forgiving murderers and stuff. Like, if that's how you're going to start your sermon with, let's forgive the murder of my wife, then it's like, whew. This is going to be a tough 40 minutes, okay? (laughs) You know what the great thing is? You don't have to be able to do it. You don't have to be disciplined enough. You don't have to be strong enough. You don't have to be spiritual enough. You don't have to be Christian enough. You just have to look to Jesus who can let go and did let go. And if you put your faith and your trust in him, you could let go of anything, even if someone murdered your spouse. In all three gospel stories, this story is told about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is coming from the Last Supper. So if you know the Passion Week, this is Thursday night. They've just had the Last Supper where Jesus introduced communion, which we're going to take later on tonight. He broke the bread. They drank wine. He said, this is like my blood. They broke bread. They said, this is like my body. And he said, take these things. And now as people who follow Jesus, we still take these things 2,000 years later. Then later on that night, he takes a couple of his disciples and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray because he knows that what is coming Is great pain. There's an event coming early the next morning where he'll be whipped, beaten, despised, abandoned, shamed, crucified on a cross as a common criminal. Even God himself will turn away from his son for a moment as he takes on the sin and the selfishness of not only the people that had lived before Jesus, not only us today that have lived after Jesus, but all the people, even his friends and family that lived right at that time. It says in Matthew 26, 36, that then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here 
while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful, sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. He meant pray with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our hearts want to pray, but our bodies, our lifestyles, our sleep schedules, we sometimes struggle to get there. Verse 42, he went away a second time. So the second time he prays a prayer of relinquishment and he prays, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away more and prayed a third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And Judas was just coming through the trees with a small army to give him the kiss of betrayal. And then the beginning of the crucifixion and that whole journey would happen. In the school of Gethsemane, says Richard Foster, we learn that my will, my way, my good must yield to a higher authority. In the school of Gethsemane, this way of praying, this garden that we can all enter into at any time is a place of life-changing prayer because we release our control, our rights, our authority to a higher authority, someone who is in greater control. The word Gethsemane means oil press. It was called the garden. It was a garden. It was called the um, garden of olives on Gethsemane. Oil press meaning the oil is pressed, pressed down. The olives are pressed and the oil runs out. This is what relinquishing prayer is. We're crushed, but we're not destroyed. We're broken down by God, but he lets his will come through us. In the book of Luke, where Luke talks about this same story, he says that Jesus was in such anguish, he actually sweat drops of blood. You might be feeling concerned if you were in the same position as Jesus, looking in the face at only a few hours to come, betrayal, horrible whipping, lashing, his whole back just destroyed before he's nailed to a cross, dying the most painful death that any human being could die on the cross. Struggle is an essential part of the prayer of relinquishment. We love to have this idea that prayer is beautiful and feels amazing and God's presence falls, and sometimes it's like that. But prayers of relinquishment are different. As you can see with the model of Jesus here, he says to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death, Jesus was in deep distress, deeply grieved, in anguish. He was wrestling through. And even though he was the son of God, his wrestle was, and his question to God as he prayed was, can this cup pass from me? The cup being his death on the cross. I'd have some concerns as well with God. If this, does this have to be the way, this pain that I'm about to go through, 
this torment, this shame that I'm about to endure? Can this cup, can my destiny, can this challenge in front of me, can this conversation I have to have with my friend, this uncomfortable conversation, can this pass from me? Is there another way, God, you might have prayed this before, where I don't have to forgive and let go? The most enjoyable emotion that a human can experience is the emotion of self-pity, of being wronged, when we're hard done by. There's no emotion that feels so good and so vindicating. Yet Jesus, in the, in, in just after the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus says, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then all the way after that, he says about forgiveness. If you don't forgive... Your Father in heaven cannot forgive you. Forgiveness is put at the top of the pile. One of the most difficult things to do. Yet it's tied to our forgiveness for all of our wrong is our ability to forgive others. Jesus' inner circle, his friends, his mates, abandon him in his time of need. They're more concerned with sleep than prayer. Ever been in that situation before? I know I've wrestled through that exact problem. Oh, do I sleep for another 20 minutes or do I get up and spend some time with God? Jesus is abandoned, asking God. Jesus prays, can this cup pass from me? And his prayer is unanswered. That's what the prayer of relinquishment is like. It's not always the answered prayer. Jesus is praying. Catch this for a moment. The Son of God is praying for a moment. He doesn't get an answer. So don't assume you get an answer every time because sometimes what we pray is about us processing with God what's going on. It's not about us always getting an answer. God doesn't say no. He doesn't say wait. He doesn't say anything. But Jesus asks, can it? Can it please pass from me? Is there any other way? Verse 41, watch and pray with me, he says to his disciples, so you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And this, is, this encapsulates prayer really well. Jesus is in pain and anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he's still able to throw out prayer tips. So he throws his little prayer tip to us in his moment of anguish. He's still got room to teach. He's the ultimate rabbi, isn't he? He says, hey, your heart is always going to want to talk to God. Your heart is always going to want to deal with things. Inside of you, there's something that says, yes, I should forgive. Yes, I should repent. Yes, I should grow up. But the flesh, meaning the outer, meaning the want, the desire, the impulse, the selfishness, that side of us is really weak. Again, you don't have to be stronger in order to pray better. You just need to look into the eyes of Jesus who's already let go. If Jesus could let go and die on a cross because he knew resurrection was coming and you put your faith in Jesus and pray to Jesus, you can let go of anything, not through self-discipline or amazing prayers, but by looking into the eyes of Jesus and seeing the power of the Holy Spirit help you. At the heart of surrender, at the heart of the relinquishment prayer is this cry of Jesus, yet not as I will, but as you will. And everyone takes a big gulp. If you want to pray this prayer, it'll change your life but it'll cost you your life. If you really pray the prayer of letting go, you're praying, not your will, not your will, not my will, not our will, his will. 
It's the ultimate handing over control. You let God be God and you be his servant, you be his son, his daughter, you follow him. In our world of rampant, expressive individualism, everything is about your will be done. Your thoughts be respected. Your decisions be agreed upon by the family and the friends. Oh, yeah, oh that's a great idea. Oh, okay, yeah, oh, fantastic. Oh, okay, yeah, you're going to have an affair. Okay, awesome, oh, that's what you want to do. Well, that's how we live our lives. It doesn't matter what someone says, everyone's right, we all have to, okay. Following Jesus is totally different. Praying to Jesus is totally different. He's never going to help you feel better about doing your selfish desires. He's always going to point to a better way, a higher way. And ultimately following Jesus is saying, God knows, I don't really know. God sees everything, I see patchy stuff. God is wise and intelligent and his ways are the best ways. I've got some IQ and I know some stuff and I'm good at about three things, but like he is way smarter than me. That's ultimately what the prayer of relinquishment is. It's your will and your ways, not my ways. But sometimes it takes a while to get there. Do you think the husband who wrote the book about forgiveness of this murderer who caused a massacre in his church, do you think that was one prayer? Do you think that was five minutes? Do you think that was a counselling session? I'm sure it took years and years and years. Even Jesus himself. Notice the first prayer is, can this cup pass from me? Then he goes back for the second prayer and it's, if this cup will not pass from me, then let your will be done. Twice he has to go through the questioning. Twice he has to come to the place of saying, okay, if it's not my will, let your will be done. But Jesus relinquishes his rights, his control, his very life. Jesus doesn't get old and breathe his last breath and let go. Jesus willingly goes to the cross for the joy set before him. And that's a whole other sermon. But how can Jesus go to the cross with joy? Because when he prays, he relinquishes control with hope. There's hope that resurrection will come. The hour has come, Jesus says to his disciples. The moment is here. I'm going to be delivered over and crucified. Here comes my betrayer. Judas walks up to him, one of his disciples, actually the treasurer of the 12 disciples, the money man, and he kisses Jesus on the cheek. Seems like a pretty hopeless situation. How am I going to get out of this one? One of the guys that I've loved the most is now betraying me. One of the guys that I've walked with for three years. I mean, we've eaten together. We've slept alongside of each other. We've traveled around together, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he's the one that's going to the authorities and leading them. He's coming to betray me. And isn't that how betrayal comes? With a kiss. From a person we don't expect at a moment we don't expect, in a way we don't expect. But it doesn't matter when you pray the prayer of relinquishment because you let go of everything, even your disciple who you have loved who's now betraying you, you let go because there's hope for something better. There's hope that even if you die, resurrection will come. That's the only way Anthony Thompson could let go of the murderer that killed his wife because he believed that resurrection was possible. He believed that life could come back. Maybe not to his dead wife, but that there would be a new day, there would be a fresh start, there would be a rebuilding that God could do something great. The ultimate relinquishment is our lives. 
just as Jesus laid down his life. We choose to lay it down. You can forgive if you're dead. <laughs> and I mean metaphorically. If you're dead and your wants are dead and, they're de- and you don't need your way, you can forgive. But that takes prayer and takes coming to God with everything that you've got. So as we finish off this morning, and I want to take communion together in a moment, I just want to share with you what the prayer of relinquishment may look like. As we look to Jesus, because we really can't, but he can. As we begin to look to Jesus, there's five different keys that I want to give you that help you to actually pray this prayer of relinquishment. Consider maybe as we go through these, Anthony Thompson learning to come to this place, his wife murdered in the Charleston Church massacre. You know, for him, he would have had to start off by emptying himself. And that's the first key to praying the prayer of relinquishment. These are like five mini prayers in this big prayer of letting go. He would have had to empty himself of his hate, his frustration. All the emotion. Imagine how unfair it would feel. Imagine how much you would just look at God and say, God, this is so wrong. This is so unfair. The prayer of relinquishment starts, though, by emptying. You've got to empty all the gunk, all the emotion, all the pain, all the anguish. You may have had the most rotten things happen to you betrayals, abuses, all kinds of things. You don't deal with that in the place of prayer? You might end up in Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or something like that. And guess what? You're going to run into the same prayer. (laughs) With God or not, it's the same prayer that you're encouraged to pray in AA. Let it go. Let go of control. It's the only path to life and life to the full. I would encourage you, to build a prayer life, to build an inner life, to build a place where you deeply connect with God so that you can do this kind of emptying. See, we think of prayer sometimes as like, I'm going to pray, the nations of the world are going to change. I'm going to pray and my workplace is all going to hear about Jesus because I prayed so hard. And that stuff's great and that stuff happens. And we need crazy, radical, prophetic prayers like that. They're really important. But we can't underscore the other side of prayer, which is sometimes just coming to God the psychologist, God the counsellor, God the loving father, God the mother who wraps his arms around us like we're a small little chick and he's the mother hen. There's this whole other side of God that actually is where we process emotions, we process our thoughts, we process our decisions. A lot of my prayer life the last few years has been writing things in my journal about what should I do next? What should I do with my life? How should I operate in my job? And a lot of that, those kind of practical questions come back to a lot of emotion and a lot of thoughts and a lot of confusion. But it's in the place of prayer where we can process these things. We run to things that make us feel good. We run to things that help us check out like video games and Netflix and social media or whatever. But God is always there saying, just come and talk to me. Rather than take the medicine of social media or movies or gambling or whatever vice you've got, we've all got some go-to vice, so don't pretend that you haven't. So just keep looking at me, keep looking at me. Now looking at your friends at the moment. You mentioned your one. Your vice got mentioned today. It's all right. We've all got our struggles. Come to God. Work through it there. 
The second part is the prayer of surrender. So now I'm emptied, now I surrender. Your will, not my will. You imagine Anthony Thompson. Man, what is your will, God? I have no idea what your will is, God. I'm empty. I feel like I'm nothing. Take, he probably prayed a lot of prayers of just take me now. Honestly, just take me. I don't want to be on this earth anymore. But I surrender to you. What do you want, Lord God? Could you imagine the vacuum you would feel going through a trauma and a tragedy like that, a murder? Thirdly, the prayer of detachment. His detachment to being a husband. His detachment to being a Christian. He would have had to detach from the justice should be served. This man should be put in an electric chair and killed. He killed my wife. He should be killed. Justice should be served. He's going to detach from all of those things, all of the rational reasoning, all the trying to work out the situation. Why did this person hurt me? Why did my business fall apart? Why did I fumble here and mess stuff up? You've just got to let go of that, detach from it all. The only way to detach is to attach. If you've already got something in your hand, it's pretty hard to hold on to God. How do you grasp onto God when your hands are full of pain and bitterness, disappointment and whatever? The prayer of release. I can't, I can't even imagine that day when Anthony Thompson's sitting there in his place of prayer and now God's will is finally fully revealed. Forgive. Forgive the man who murdered your wife. That's the prayer of release. You come to this scary place. It's going to be the thing that you never thought you would do. It's going to be the place that you don't want to go. But the Holy Spirit's going to lead you to this place you don't want to go. To release people, to forgive people, to let go of your title, to let go of who you thought your identity was and just let it rest on God. And then this is the best part. This is the gospel part. There's always resurrection. We pray the prayer of resurrection. The emptying part, if I can return to point number one for a moment, you know, it might be a good idea if you hold your communion because this stuff is impossible through human effort and through strong discipline and through trying harder. But it is possible through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he didn't do, that he didn't show us a way. It says in Philippians 2.8 that Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, when you're new to following Jesus, or maybe you don't follow Jesus at all, maybe you're a teenager looking at this whole thing of following Jesus, let me help you understand a really important point because it'll help you in the long run, trust me, and everyone who's been around for a while will agree with this. If you can't pray the prayer of emptying and let God, then following Jesus is impossible. If you can't let go of what you want and focus on what God wants, following Jesus is really impossible. If you can't come to a place where you say, not my will, but your will, because you know that his will is better than your will, but you've got to trust that gap in between, <laughs> Because it's always lagging, isn't it? Lucy said it beautifully up here this morning. Well, I've learned to trust God and I look back in my life. And, but it's always in lag. No one's sitting in their prayer life going, God, I trust your will and I get it. I can see it all. It all adds up to me. No, 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 no. There'd be no faith then. There'd be no trust then. <laughs> you can't have the answers in advance. 
This is the prayer of emptying. I'm going to empty everything out, the need to know, the need to control. I understand there's a giant gap, and that's called faith. But I do trust, like Lucy shared with us this morning, when I get there, I trust I'm going to look back, and you will have made a way. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to let go and trust that his way is better. The prayer of surrender. Let's talk to all you people who have been around for a while that think you know what it means to follow Jesus. We surrender our life in order to follow Jesus. Yeah, I let go. I lost my life. I took up my cross like Pastor Pete said, and now I'm following him. But the question in surrender is, Did you, you might have surrendered back then, but have you surrendered today? Or to use a sporting analogy, you're only as good as your last game. Oh, but I was a leader in the church and oh, I gave all this money. And I, that's great. I don't want to be harsh here, but like, no one cares what you did 20 years ago. Where's your relationship with God today? How are you surrendering now? I'm not trying to be harsh here. I'm just trying to talk on behalf of God a little bit because he's interested in how you are today and how you'll be tomorrow. He doesn't dwell on the past very much. He can heal the past if it needs to be healed, but he's not going, oh, yeah, it's true. Like, you know a lot of stuff. Like, yeah, like, don't pray today. No, it's true. It's true. Like, you know all the Bible stories. I mean, you teach your kids the Bible stories. Like, don't read the Word of God. Like, you basically know everything. God's never said that, <laughs> and we'll never say that. The question becomes not, have I surrendered yesterday? Am I surrendered today? The prayer of detachment is tough because you've got to let go of my things. We attach ourselves to money. We attach ourselves to clothes. We attach ourselves to status. We attach ourselves to likes on social media, all the normal stuff that you all know about. But in the place of prayer, you get honest about that stuff. You get honest about that stuff. What am I holding on to that I'm not holding on to God because my hands are full? And I want to finish with this, probably, probably the hardest one, the prayer of release. And you know what's going to happen today. <laughs> We're going to take this communion and most of you are going to have the Holy Spirit whisper in your ear, you need to forgive that person. You need to forgive that church, that business that government, that whatever. You know that's where God's probably going to go with most of us today. I'm not telling you what he's saying to you, but I'm saying there's probably a lot of us are going to hear something like that. And forgiveness is really, really difficult. The scripture I touched on before is Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That doesn't really sound like the gospel. It doesn't really sound like Jesus, does it? It doesn't sound kind. We love kind. Isn't Jesus meant to be kind? But don't hear it as some bar you need to jump because that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if, God, if you haven't accepted the free gift of God's grace in forgiveness, that I'm a dirty sinner, but God has forgiven me of my selfishness, you'll never be able to forgive anyone else anyway. So don't hear it as like this bar to jump that, oh, I need to perform for God in the forgiveness space so that God can forgive me and I'm okay. Uh, weigh that off. I kind of like my bitterness. Uh. No, 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 no. Jesus is saying, 
If you've accepted the full grace of God in what it means to follow Jesus, that he died on the cross, thank you because I'm a sinner and I can't do it, thank you, you will be able to forgive because you have a revelation of your forgiveness. It's counterintuitive. It's kind of the other way around. We hear performance where God is saying, open your heart. If I touch your heart, you'll be able to let go. Anthony Thompson forgave, forgave the murder of his wife, not because he performed as a good Christian. You don't write a book that sells around the world because like, oh, look what I did and I'm a great Christian and I was able to forgive. There'd be no power in that. There'd be, even if he did it, it'd be, it wouldn't be authentic. No, God dealt with his heart and then out of that crushing in the Garden of Gethsemane, the oil press where God crushed down those olives until a little bit of oil came out, in that place, a book was birthed that could help other people with their forgiveness. He didn't set out to forgive because I'm a good Christian boy and maybe I can get a book deal out of it. That's not how God works. But what if you have been genuinely done wrong by? Because this is the other side of the coin, isn't it? Great, Pastor Kay, we should forgive. I get it. God's got to move my heart. Great. But something really bad happened to me. Completely fair question. God is a God of forgiveness, but God is a just and holy and righteous judge. And he believes in fairness and he believes in things being set right. Say a, a wife is beaten up by a husband and maybe God leads her to that place of forgiving her husband. That does not invalidate her right to ring the police and charge him for his illegal violence towards her. Justice should still be sought. Let's say somebody's really wronged you relationally, which we've all been through, if a friend, family member, business, church, whatever, you've been hurt. Yes, God will encourage you to forgive, but he also encourages you to seek justice, to speak up, to say, hey, that was wrong, to say, you did the wrong thing by me. Forgiveness does not invalidate justice. So because you forgave someone who abused you, that doesn't mean that their abuse was right. It definitely doesn't mean that you should hang out with them anymore. <laughs> But get the second half of this power line. It's powerful. This could really transform your life. Forgiveness does not invalidate justice, but seeking justice without forgiveness is only vengeance. And vengeance is not a godly virtue. To seek vengeance without forgiveness will only destroy you in bitterness, in hurt, in depression, in pain. 